You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 400. Uh, Tim Robertson and David Cohen are going to talk about the Apple event, WWDC, and a few other things. Check it out. And it is Tech Fan Podcast number 400. I am Tim Robertson, and I am joined by David Cohen. Hello, David. Yay, I'm back. Well, you know, I was going to record a show last week. Yeah. But I kept thinking, you know, we don't really do the whole celebration. Ooh, it's a big number. And um, we didn't do it at, you know, 250 or 300. or So I thought, you know, I'm just going to wait. Yeah, because it is the 400th episode, and I'd I'd rather do the 400th, even though we don't really celebrate it. It is kind of a milestone, so I thought oh, I'm just going to wait for a week. I appreciate it. So you were on holiday, and you went on a cruise. Yeah, Oasis, huh? Uh, yeah. Now, I, normally I don't talk about cruise ships on the show because everyone has cruise ships. You know, they're a they're a thing now, and everyone kind of knows they're all much of a muchness. But this one wasn't. This one was something else. And even by my standards, this probably this must be about the twenty seventh, the twenty eighth cruise we've done now. Um, this ship impressed me, and I thought it was worth just talking a little bit about it on the show. So Oasis, Oasis of the Sea. What is, is yeah. that? The name of the ship? That's the name of the ship. All the, all the Royal Caribbean cruise ships are called something of the seas. So this one's called Oasis of the Seas. Now this isn't a new ship. That's about to go into dry dock for refurb. It's already 10 years old. Um, so this ship doesn't even reflect kind of the latest cutting edge of what's going on in cruise liners. But I tell you, um, we've never done a ship this large before, and that's because it is quite literally one of the largest in the world. This thing displaces the same amount of water as a Nimitz-class nuclear aircraft carrier. So that kind of gives you an idea for how big this thing is. Yeah, it's um, huge. Uh, it's, it, it, as I say, even having done a lot of ships before, I was kind of taken away by how much bigger this one was. Because it's, it's much wider. That makes a big difference. About 30 feet, 40 feet wider than regular cruise ships. And that means all the stuff inside, they have kind of a thing called the Royal Promenade. It's meant to be a bit like a shopping mall with shops and restaurants and things like that. On it, it was, It's wide enough that it's like being in a real shopping mall. I mean, you would not know. You were on a ship. Um, things are so big, they are dead stable in the water. Um, this one has a unique structure in that kind of in the middle of the ship, kind of all the, all the cabins are on the sides, and then the middle is actually open to the air. So um, you have in the middle, you have a big park with plants and everything in it. It was like being in a small city park um, that's kind of surrounded by a, an island of cabins on either side. And that was a kind of really nice. Uh, they had a, a bar that would come up from inside the ship and kind of surface up the part for 20 minutes and then disappear again, which was also kind of cool. And a then bar? On the, a bar? Yeah, a whole bar that's basically a big elevator. And you get on it, and then every 20 minutes, half an hour, the bar rises up from the Royal Promenade deck, where I was just talking about, and it kind of arrives inside the park, sit there for 20 minutes, and then it goes back down again. 
so uh, that's interesting. Of course, the kids had to ride on that. Um, they insisted. So even though it was a bar, we were sat there drinking Diet Cokes as it went up and down. Um, it also has a full boardwalk on there. Real American-style boardwalk with a carousel and a hot dog stand and popcorn and all of that sort of thing, a diner. And then right at the back of the ship, they have a um, what they call the aqua theatre. And this has like a big 20-foot deep diving pool. And they do a show with acrobats and high divers, underfoot high dives into this pool, uh, synchronized swimming, tightrope acts, jumping around, all of that sort of thing. Uh, and then in the theatre, they have you know, a full Broadway production of Cats that's on twice a week. So, Sounds pretty neat. It was, as I say, it was really quite interesting to see when you build something that large. First of all, the fact that this thing is so large and then it moves and it's capable of taking you from place to place is just something else. The fact that they can turn these things on a dime and dock them normally without damaging anything, though if you've seen videos on YouTube this week, you'll have seen that then uh, somebody got that wrong. Um, but the fact that they can maneuver with them around, that it's so large, it, you know, it's about it's, it's like a small town. It had about 10,000 people ship in Calgary. Wow. Uh, and, um, and, you know... It's a vacation, and you know it's it's not the cheapest vacation in the world, but it's not unaffordable either. Um, it, it, it just amazes me, and this is just one of they have about five or six of these ships, kind of tooling around the world or Caribbean, um, and uh, yeah, it is really is something else. It's just on a technical level, so it's really an impressive achievement. Quite quite apart from whether you like that style of holiday or not, just being on one of these things is something else. It looks uh, now. Is it true that they do have the movie Titanic running twenty four seven on some screens? You know what? It, they they kind of wouldn't be shy of doing that. Sometimes the you get a lot of particularly you talk to the crew, you get quite a lot of of ship humor. You know, so uh, the irony of that probably lost on some people. S h i p humor. Yes. Okay. Well, Just make yes. sure there wasn't a T in there somewhere because one, that's totally well, different. It could be one or the other, depending on particular style of humor, I guess. I don't know. Cruises just don't, they don't really appeal to me. The destinations do, but the cruise ships themselves, I don't know. Just, I don't know. It's just not my thing. I've never well, been on one, so maybe yeah. that's unfair to judge, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I look at them and I look at video and I've seen pictures and I just think, yeah, you're just on a big boat. Well, you are, and um, I think I think the approach you have to take with crews is, is really to take what you want out. There are some people who get excited for the ships. My my children, for instance, were completely jazzed when we the ship, um, just because of the ship. And we've booked we've already booked um, a cruise for next year because we like going on cruises, and we know the kids like going on cruises, and they're now excitedly scouring the internet for every scrap of information they can find about the ship we're going to do next year. That's what was what a couple they, thousand bucks? Uh, this the, the one we just did was a little bit more than that. Um, and we had to fly to Barcelona as well, so we had the cost of flights on. Next year we're doing one from Southampton up to Norway. Uh, and yeah, that was around about a couple thousand, which for seven nights, four people, full board, you actually kind of look at what you're paying per day. Um, relatively competitive compared to what you might spend for a, a package holiday in Spain, south of France or something like that. Um, Sounds like fun, though. Yeah, and and as I say, the kids kids dig the ships. 
I normally can take or leave the ships, really, but this one, as I say, was particularly impressive. But, I, you know, I'm much more about the... Me, I don't care too much about the destinations. This time we went to Pompeii, uh, and we also went to Rome. Um, both places I've been to before, but it was nice to go again and spend a few hours at each of those places. Um, so the destinations can make a big difference for some people, and they like to do the tours or do their own thing. Uh, it is kind of nice to be on a... On a in the hotel and you wake up in a different place every day um, and, and then there are some people this is kind of really more where I am now where it's just a case of it's a vacation you can eat when you want you can relax you can sleep as much as you want uh, the kids are taken care of if you have children because they have plenty of activities for the kids to do um, and you can just kind of let the kids get on with it and kind of relax and do your own thing and that's really what I get out of um, I don't want to be on one of these vacations where I'm kind of driving everywhere and Keeping everyone organized all the time, you know? Yeah, that's kind of a pain. Yeah. So uh, you also posted a link to something called Air Dots. What is yeah. this? So um, these are basically a Chinese version of the concept of AirPods. That's the name kind of implies. And um, the reason I came across this is my brother uh, picked up a set and he said, you know what, These you should try these. And I recently had sold my AirPods before the batteries died on them. They were, you know, I'd not used them that much, so the batteries on mine were still pretty good. Uh, people who've used their AirPods every day since they were launched are finding the batteries are dying on them. So I sold mine while I had a set with a good battery, uh, and I was intending when I come out to Macstock uh, at six, seven weeks' time, I was intending to pick up a pair of AirPod 2s. Um, but I don't think I'm going to now because I have these instead. So they, they, work very similarly to the AirPods in that I'm in a little less well-built than Apple, but a little charging case with magnetic connections in. Um, they're a different style than the uh, AirPods. They do have interchangeable rubber tips on the earpieces, ear which is nice, because that means they fit much more nicely in your ear than AirPods do. Uh, and they work broadly the same way. In when you take them out of the case, they turn themselves on, connect to your iPhone, um, and uh, you can then you press press a button on them to start stop audio. Hold down that button to do Siri, uh, and that's pretty much it. So they're not they're nowhere near as good as the AirPods in terms of the, being able to switch to different Apple devices uh, and you know, kind of having funky touch gestures or anything like that on them. But then they only cost me twenty five pounds, about thirty dollars. Whereas AirPods wow. are five six times that as amount. They actually, because they have a, a rubber a rubber fit into your ear, they actually sound pretty good. They probably sound better than the AirPods. They certainly have a lot more bass than it, the AirPods do for music. They are cheap, so if you turn the volume up to maximum, you'll hear a little bit of... Uh, it's, not, it's not kind of break-up or distortion like you would get if you were really overdriving a speaker, but kind of everything... You know, you'll know this from your audio fathers. You know when things kind of get a bit muddy just because the drivers in the... And the speaker or the, or the uh, whatever just can't keep up with the sound because it's yeah. too loud. Yeah, they get a little bit like that. So it's not bad. Um, and if you like loud sound, then you can learn to live with it. But it's certainly not as, as detailed and as crisp as maybe the AirPods are at high volume. But the difference is you can actually don't need the high volume because you've got a rubber seal in your ear. So you get much less from the outside coming. Um, Bluetooth is always compromised anyway. Is it for um, for audio? So you know what, these are probably 85-90% of the sound of the AirPods um, for in terms a whole of lot quality. Less money. 
for a whole lot less money. And the real advantage of these to me is that for a start, the batteries run flat. The, you know, the batteries wear out. You get about four hours out of these and off charge, but the case charge them five or six times. But, you know, if the batteries start to fail in them, well, they're in 25 pounds. You know, they're only right. 30 bucks. Yeah. So you buy another set. If you lose one or you lose the case, which I lost the case on my first set of AirPods. My brother has definitely lost one of the AirPods himself before. Again, you cry a lot less about it if, to replace them. It's $30. And this, to me, is the real advantage of them. The fact is is that you can get 90% of everything you get from the AirPods or 20% of the price. And, and heck, you know, at that sort of price, you could buy two or three pairs and, uh, you know, have one in the car, one for the gym, one for around the house if you wanted to, and you'd still be saving money or pay on the AirPods. So, um, There's something to be said for that. Yeah, I think I think so. Just because they are so easy to damage all the let's face it, with an AirPod or anything that size, if it falls out of your ear while you're running and you step on it, then that's an expensive mistake. Yeah. You know, and that's I think that's the difficulty. I love don't get me wrong, I did love the AirPods. Um and um you know, I thought they were I thought they were very good and I actually thought for what you got they were pretty good value for money. But in the context of that statement, these are amazing value for money. So as I say, you get most of the advantages of the AirPods are a fifth of the price. The thing is, uh, personally, I don't use any kind of headphones like these because they're, well, they're not headphones, they're earphones. They're earbuds. And yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't like putting earbuds in my ear. I just, I, I can't, it's, I've tried ones with different rubber, different size rubber. It's yeah. just not comfortable to me. I like over the ear headphones. I'm using a pair of over the ear headphones as I talk to you right now for yeah. the show. Um, and I, that's and I, kind of, I don't know if it's just because I grew up with over-the-ear headphones as an audiophile. I had to have that kind of, I don't know, immersive experience. Um, but the only time I really use headphones nowadays, David, honestly, is when we record the show. Yeah. I hardly ever use headphones. Well, I, I, I use them a lot when I'm traveling because I like to walk around listen to my podcast while I'm walking everywhere. And I like to walk a lot. You know, and I use a lot of public transport. So they make sense for me. Um, and I do appreciate that some people just don't like earbuds. Uh, and again, that's absolutely fine. There are plenty of over-the-ear uh, wireless headphones, if you want, oh, yes. or wired ones as well. Um, and as I say, the quality, no matter how much, you could spend $300 wireless Bluetooth earbuds or uh, headphones. And because you're using Bluetooth, you're always going to compromise the sound while trading off the convenience of, of not having the wire um, and potentially not having to have your on you while you're listening against the lack of quality that not having the wire gets you. Um, yep. But again, I think if, you, if you're in the market for these and you've been thinking maybe the AirPods are for you, try these first and see if they're all right because they are, you know, it's the power of the Chinese economy. They are exceptionally cheap. The only real downside of these is when you order them, when you get them, you'll find that the all the instructions are in Chinese. Uh, and they haven't got yeah, a lot. But it's... Yeah, they haven't got a lot of localization, but you know what? five minutes on the web and you find all the instructions you need. Yeah. I can't imagine they're so complex that you can't figure it out. Not really. The, the hardest part is pairing them to your device. Um, that is a, uh, you, you know, again with the, with the AirPods, it's easy. You just wave the case near the air iPhone and it just does it with, um, with these, you have to do it manually. And so you need to follow a little bit of instructions, but again, $25, pounds. And that's kind of hard to, you know, discount because again like you said you lose a pair of the 
Apple ones, and man, that's an expensive blunder. You lose a pair of these. Yeah, I left the charging case for mine on the train for the AirPods, uh, and the replacement one was. This was in the early days of AirPods. First of all, it was a pain in the ass. I couldn't go into the store to do it. I had to do it with Apple, over Apple Care over the phone, and it was difficult. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, it cost me eighty quid. <laughs> you you know, could have bought three of these. A hundred dollars. So, yeah, I could have bought three of those for that. <laughs> well, you know, Apple does put a premium price on a lot of their products. Sometimes it's justifiable. Sometimes it's not. Um, and I think that would make a really good segue. Uh, into the WWDC event. Now, you sent me a link to a Macworld.com uh, page that has a summary, which uh, I was having a hard time finding a summary of everything that was released. I never, I have yet to watch the entire keynote. I've watched two different, uh, you know, breakdown summaries of it, videos, where people kind of get to the good stuff. and And that was fine for me. I didn't, you know, after I saw everything that was announced, I didn't have this, oh, my gosh, I need to go watch this keynote. No, I, I watched some of it, um, as I was explaining to you before we started recording. The nature of the time zones in California mean that uh, these keynotes, when they happen, are kind of 6, 7 o'clock in the evening here. So it's often quite convenient to watch them live. Um, so I, I didn't see the beginning of it, but I watched some of this. I saw all the Mac Pro announcements. Um, I saw some of the stuff they did uh on iPad OS and that sort of thing, I saw some of the demos. Uh, I wouldn't say if if you've got access to the information afterwards. I would always say that nowadays none of these are must watches um, because you know the, the stuff that comes out afterwards kind of tells you everything you need to know. But you know, it was nice to see it, and I saw some some of the highs and some of the lows. I think in terms of the audience reaction to some of what. But well, I, we're I, yeah, I tell you, it was jam packed with stuff. I mean, it just kept coming. And we're going to start uh, kind of, we're going to follow the, the article here at Macworld.com. And we'll give them credit for it because that's what we're using for our show notes, if you will. Yeah. And I'll put a link into this article. So if you want to see the note or the uh, page that David and I are kind of referring to, it'll be in the show notes at either MyMac.com or TechFanPodcast.com. And uh, it says uh, Apple kicked off the conference by talking about updates to TVOS. And so... I don't use tvOS. It's uh, not even on my radar, David. Yeah. I just, it doesn't, I use Plex. I have um, uh, Netflix, you know, uh, my with my cable company, I get access to HBO and all these other things. Now, I can watch all of those things on tvOS, but I don't need to. I don't yeah. need to have yet another box. It's, yeah, I mean, I as I only have one because I, I won one in a competition. So, yep, um, I remember. You know, and we, we have it on our TV. We have it in the kind of kitchen diner. Um, and we mainly use it for Netflix and the BBC iPlayer. I occasionally will play a podcast and that sort of thing on it. But what I tend to do is I use the, the, the Apple TV and the TV as speakers for my iPhone. I don't tend to run it directly off the device. Um, so the interesting thing for this is the, so they've, they've got got a new home screen that apparently will play videos in the background while you're browsing, kind of like Netflix does, which I don't I don't know anybody who really wants that. So, you know, it's really the uh, last... I, on, in a web browser, I'm always muting it. Yeah, exactly. Or I scroll quickly to get past... Because if I've got a video in the background, I'm, 
it's too much going on. Yeah, exactly. I, it's, I, it's not a feature that I think is great, so uh, I hope Frank turn it off. I do like the multi-user, though. That, no, yeah. that's a good idea. Well, I, I guess if you're using your Apple TV for, to run your music collection, I suppose. Um, for us, as I say, all we're doing is running an app on it, and each of the apps we run have their own multi-user right. system in. So uh, I don't know whether this will integrate with those and will drive your... You know, if you, I have my own Netflix account, whether it will pick that up and drive that through the Netflix app when I log into it, or whether I'll have to then tell Netflix that it's me and not one of the kids, I don't. Um, again, it, I think it comes down to how much you are in the Apple ecosystem, how useful that is to you. What about lyrics lining up, or, or lyrics in sync with Apple Music? I didn't know that it sounds like a karaoke feature to Apple TV that I didn't I, know exist. <laughs> yeah, Frank, I don't use Apple Music, so Frank, I didn't. I was, you know what, we, we don't do... You and I are not really karaoke type people. No. Um, I. I don't. I, David, I'll be honest. I. I don't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> yeah. You know. I. You know. I'm. You know. I don't. I don't want to hurt people. I. I just don't tend to worry about what the lyric song are most of the time. So. Uh, no, I make mine up anyways. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know. They must presume some audience. Let's face it. They, at this point with TVOS, they were just getting warmed up. This was just the preamble. Um, I, I think improving... Well, not just that. I think that the this update is kind of laying the groundwork for uh, Apple TV coming. Yeah, exactly. Their, their, their video service is the important thing. So they have to be seen to be doing something to the devices. Yes. I think I think we've talked previously about, to, to us, there's a big question mark about how the Apple TV as a, as a, as a device, how it exists going forward. But we'll see. Well, the arcade thing is is intriguing to me because that's coming to the the box as well. Yes, yeah, and it's going to support support both the Xbox One and and the PS4 DualShock controllers, and, which and I think is extremely uh, an intelligent move on Apple's part. Well, absolutely, and also as well that that support apparently goes right through iOS, so any iOS device will do that as well, which basically means that the kind of the MFI system for uh, controllers is dead at this point. <laughs> yeah, who's who's going to buy a specialized controller from a company you've never heard of versus getting an Xbox One PS4? And uh, that's going to make arcade on the iPad and iOS in general, as well as the Mac, just so much more robust. Yeah, because those are much better controllers. Yes, are, no question. You know, they are designed... To be used full time for gaming. Sometimes some of the MFI ones feel like they've been designed by somebody who said, "Well, as long as it passes a demo, that'll do." <laughs> yes, the, I've never had one that's been really a great controller. I've got probably four or five of them over the last five years, and not one of them um, has replaced the wired Xbox 360 controller that I use to play games on my Mac. Which is, yeah. to be honest, very very infrequently. But that's the only reason I have a wired controller, and it's an Xbox One, and it works perfect. Every game I've ever played, just it sees the Xbox controller and it just uses it, no problem. Uh, and of course, you know, it, this this again is signalling that Apple is serious about this Apple Game Service because this now allows it, it means that people don't have to buy go out and buy a special controller to use it. Right, uh, and Apple's not going to roll their own, thank God. Yeah, exactly. Because so, it'd probably have been five hundred dollars. <laughs> Yep. 
because it's much more complex than a stand. Let's be honest. So of course it's going to be. Don't go there. there price. Don't go there. Let's Not hold yet. it. Let's hold it off till we get there. Yeah. Uh, wa- uh, Watch OS six uh, was announced. Hmm? New, new faces. Um, eh, new faces. Yeah. Still, still no. Custom faces that like third party faces, which uh, I don't know why they're not doing that yet. I really don't get it, David. I'll be honest with you. If they had, I don't care if they if 99 cent little watch faces you can buy or free or whatever, or even ones based on something else a Disney one, a Star Wars one, a Star Trek one. Any, I don't care. Um, and, and hell, they could tie this into the latest big blockbuster, you know, the Aladdin yeah. watch or the Godzilla watch face. Um, I don't know why they don't give us this yet. I, you know, I, as long as they mandated, okay, you, it has to show the time. Well, that's pretty much the the time. It has yeah. to show the time and maybe, I don't know, what else is mandatory, you think? I, I do wonder if this is one of those things that just basically is on their list, but they haven't got to it yet. And I think now that... There's some big stuff in WatchOS 6. They're basically, they are kind of, they've built a, an API to actually allow you to create independent apps on the watch. Um, and they're, they're launching, they're going to launch a store for watch apps. I think that sounds like a very big engineering effort. And it's probably been more important to them than um, having customizable watch faces. So now you've done that groundwork, I would hope over the next year or two, we'll be able to see customizable watch faces because now yeah. now they have an infrastructure to actually get them onto exactly. the watch and sell them to the sell them to you so. yeah because it's been to put it mildly cumbersome to look for watch apps using your phone yeah. um there wasn't an, an intuitive way of doing it now if it's built into the watch itself its own app store that would make much more sense to be able to buy customized watch faces yeah so maybe you're right. Maybe this is laying the groundwork for that, uh, to which I say, what the hell's taking so long? Well, I, I, I think if I was to summarize the tone of this entire keynote, it's, it's finally Apple is listening because an awful lot of the stuff they've brought out in this keynote is it demonstrates these are things people have been complaining about for a long time, and Apple has said, right, we've done it. Um, you know, and, and putting independent apps on the watch – uh, having more APIs for the watch, uh, proper streaming API for the watch, so it's more easy to stream podcasts and music to the watch. These are all things people have been crying out for ever since the thing launched, and yeah. now they're getting to them. And I, and I think you know that kind of underlines awful lot of stuff that came out in this keynote was things where app, people have been saying, "What the hell, Apple? Why aren't you doing this?" And they're getting onto it now. So, iOS um, 13 was also announced, and I think this yeah. is. Uh this is honestly, this is the one that I know for a fact that I'll jump on when it's released. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of, I'll be honest, I'm kind of excited by the dark mode. I, I've been using dark mode on my Mac for a long time, and I like it a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot that I was using it, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit mixed on dark mode. Because, to me, one of the advantages the Mac always had over Windows in the early days was the fact that it was designed from the ground up to be a paper-white display with black text on it. Whereas at the time, you know, DOS PCs were kind of uh, black text with a white, back, uh, white text with a black background, and it was much easier to read stuff on the Mac. So I've always kind of assumed that, that the light, you know, dark on white background is, is kind of superior. Now there seems to be this trend back towards these dark modes, which I personally often find difficult to read. 
maybe that's just my old eyes. I don't know. A quick path. Uh, this is something that's been in Android and different Android keyboards you could have downloaded in the past for many years now. Yeah. Um, it's just you swipe your finger across the letters to type instead of pushing each button by itself. Um, I don't know if I'll adopt it. I'll, I think I'll try it. Yeah. But I, I don't I hope, know if I'll adopt it. I hope along with this they've improved the keyboard. The keyboard has – funnily enough, while I was away, I read the um, – the book by that by Ken Cossiera, I think he was, the engineer who wrote the original keyboard for iOS. Um, it came out in the middle of last year, and it was a very interesting read, actually. And he talks about the, the process he went through to actually come up with a keyboard that works. And it was quite late in the day. They actually figured out how to do it. Um, and uh, it's kind of frustrated me, because he says in the book, he says, well, the keyboard they use today... Um, doesn't use any of this. They've, they they redid it after a few years, and I don't think it's as good. I often find it will uh, you'll type a word, type two or three words, and it will think you hit a full stop, and it will put gobbledygook up on the screen. Uh, and I I find it very frustrating. So I'm hoping, along with the swipe keyboard, that um, the keyboard algorithms are improved in iOS 13. I think it almost has to be because I think the 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 quick path. Input itself, it almost kind of dictates that they're going to have to address that, don't you yeah, think? I hope. I will Otherwise, it's not going to work for crap. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. Uh, notes got better, which is good because we use Notes all the time for this show. Yeah, and Notes is one of these apps that kind of nobody thought about until Apple completely rewrote it from the ground up about two, three years ago. Yeah. Uh, and actually made it pretty good. But well, the- I started using I dropped, um, oh, what was the, the long run that I used? Oh, jeez. Uh, I used it on the Mac. I also had it on my. I'm just drawing a blank now. Drops? I still get. Uh, no, it's an independent company. I'm just. I cannot think of the name of it. I did a session at MacWorld one year on it. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I stopped using my other Note applications that synced between Macs and Is iPhone. It Evernote. And, uh, uh, yes, Evernote. Evernote. I stopped using Evernote. And I just started using the Notes app in, in, in well, the iPhone and I, – it's, it's on my iPad. I never use it on the iPad because that's not what I use the iPad for. But I use it on the Mac all the time. And I also use it pretty much on a daily basis at work yeah. uh, on my iPhone. And I think it's, it's, it's a good app. Um, I've got some weird sharing thing turned on, so Brooks Notes are showing up in mine. I got to figure out how to unsync that. Um, I think eventually I'm just going to start a family plan with AT and T, so it's not tied to my account. Yeah. Um, and I don't think she's got any apps, anyways. That's you know that I had to pay for exclusively for her to use that, or vice versa. That either one of us would be upset if you know I had to buy it again on her account. Um, but. That's one of the problems that I do have, that I have to scroll and scroll and scroll. And for whatever reason, the newest notes are never at the top. Once you make a change, they fall down that page. And even if you go back to an old note and change it, it doesn't automatically go to the top of uh, the notes, which is, you know, I want the newest ones at the top, but it doesn't do that. So apparently, Will, they've got a new new organization of stuff seemed to be in a theme in the iOS developments this year. Uh, and, Which uh, is good. It needs yeah. it. So they, so they, they, but they didn't really talk about what they've done, but apparently they have improved organization of notes in notes. 
Um, and and just as with just as they rewrote notes from the ground up a few years ago, they, this year they've rewritten reminders. And uh, from the look of it, it looks like uh, it's a pretty strong app now. Whereas up until now, it's been pretty. It's a complete ground-up remake with intelligent text recognition for dates, times, and places. Yeah, they've basically... Alternatively, you can now use QuickType bar to add those things. So I like to see how it works because I use reminders all the time. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things with my iPhone. I'll be honest with you, David, because I I can... Look, I I sell cars for a living. Uh, I do the MyMac stuff. Um. I've got a lot of stuff on my plate. Let me just leave it at that. And I forget, like, for instance, my son's moving up in Cub Scouts. And it's going to be next Tuesday at 630, this little award ceremony. Well, I work until 6, and I work, you know, 40, 45 minutes away. So I'm going to need to leave work early Tuesday. And Julie just told me about this. So as a matter of fact, hold on. Remind me next Tuesday to leave at 4 o'clock. Okay, I'll remind you. Yeah, there you go. Um, done. Just like that. Yeah. Real world example that I, I would forget. You know, you get busy right. at work. It just pops out of your head. Now, I said 4 o'clock, even though I don't need to leave that early. That way, at 4 o'clock, it will remind me, and I can wrap up everything within the next hour, leave at 5, and have plenty of time to get to the Cub Scout ceremony. So yeah, that's it, uh, the advantage that the inbuilt apps always have, of course, is that they work with Siri. Whereas, I mean, a lot of the stuff in Reminders, uh, intelligent text recognition, so you can put dates and times and places in, and it understands if you say, for instance, as you just did, leave at four o'clock. Yeah, it, it understands that you're saying want to leave, and it understands a time. Yeah, um, a lot of third-party apps on on the, uh, iOS do that now. Fantastical, which is one I use for calendar, is the regular calendar thing. It has that intelligent text recognition, but you can't drive it through Siri because it's not a first-party app. So, you know, what what Apple's doing here, the reminders, uh, looks like a big improvement. And hopefully, we'll make the app a lot better. Because, really, once you put something in there, it's pretty inflexible yes. at the moment. Apple Maps is getting an update. Now, this is something that they started... Um, kind of updating it, at least in the California area at the beginning of this year. Um, I'm kind of curious to see if if apps get better. Um, I don't use it unless I use Siri when I'm in my car to to tell Siri to take me somewhere. And by default, and actually it's the only way Siri currently works, and we'll get to the change there, is it uses Apple Maps. And I'll be honest with you, I've got three different map programs on my iPhone. I've got Waze, which is my now my default, the one that I go to. I, I just like Waze. It looks better. Uh, it warns you about, you know, cars stopped on the side of the road or I don't speed. I know you probably think I might be saying that because I'm saying this on the air, but no, I really, I, for the most part, I don't speed. I drive the speed limit. Um, but it l- lets me know that there's a police officer up ahead on a speed trap. Um, it automatically routes you around slower traffic. Uh, it's it's just a really good GPS. Uh, I use that, number one. Number two would be Google Maps, simply because it integrates really well with my desktop stuff. I can set on my desktop where I want to go and when I want to leave, and that information is synced to my iPhone. That's nice. 
I, look, the thing is with Apple is that Apple is desperate to be as good as Google Maps because their play is, you know, we, we'll give you mapping as good as Google Maps, but we don't won't do all the tracking and privacy invasion that Google does when you trade off against that using Google. So that's kind of where they are. But, you know, they've got a long way to go. Uh, Apple Maps, I, I tend to prefer to use it if I can. I'm not a big lover of using Google Maps, but uh, can't argue. I'm even here in the UK where it's everything's smaller and more close together, it's potentially much easier to map. Um, it still has errors in it. Not major ones, but there are things showing up in the wrong place all the time here. And Yeah, um, that's not good. That's Well, that that's a problem. And that those are the sort of things that kind of... You know, you can get with with mapping. You can have it ninety five percent right, and you'll get beaten up over that last five percent. Um, so uh, it's good that they continue to do it because I think generally we'd all like to go to a privacy focused ecosystem. If we, um, so, it's good that they're pushing on there. But you know, this is work in progress as far as I'm concerned. Talking about privacy, um, you know, Apple. This, Funnily enough, during uh, what was it the uh, the last big event? Um, wow, the I keep wanting to say WWDC. The rest of the industry, what what do they just do? What well, at um, CES? CES, yeah, yeah. Apple had a giant billboard all about privacy. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding, and Apple is making privacy one of the paramount drivers for their mobile platform, as well as desktop. See, here's what's interesting about this, is that really, uh, you know, as, as somebody who works in IT security, I can tell you that to get it right, you have to build it in from the ground up. Cannot kind of build a service and then add it on afterwards. And this is the problem that, like, Facebook facing is that they say that they're trying to improve their privacy but effectively what they're doing is they're trying to build extra layers of security and isolation on top of systems that were designed for the exact opposite of that they were designed for information sharing not for information privacy the advantage apple has here and i think this is why they're trying so hard to major on this is they recognize it's a differentiator and they are in the unique position because they own the whole widget that they can build it in from the ground up and this is what they're doing here. They they basically they're launching their own, um, you know, they're closing loopholes all the time, and they're launching their own sign-on service. That basically a single sign-on that you will be able to use your Apple ID to sign on to third-party services, but you'll do it in a way that doesn't exactly doesn't immediately open you up to tracking, and you know uses uh, fake email addresses if you want to, so you don't get spammed. And the problem with the sign-in with Apple is the buy-in from well, all these websites, yep. and I don't think I don't think a lot of them are going to buy in because they want you to sign in using Google or Facebook. So, for, with the express reasoning of getting your information, yeah, that's why they use those services. The problem is, is that is that then it becomes uh, for those services, it's going to be a potential issue in that lots of Apple users, and let's face it, there's a lot of Apple devices out there start avoiding their services for other ones that support Apple's um, sign-on, and that might drive adoption. We, I mean, so. we'll have to see. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm all for it. I think it's a, it's something that's needed, but we'll see what the adoption rate is. I, I hope it's... If it's 50% in a year, I think that's a win. Yeah. Um, 
One of the things about the privacy that Apple will actually send you warnings about apps that continue to track you in the background. I like that. And they're also closing loopholes that allow apps to look at Wi-Fi hotspots and Bluetooth beacons to estimate your location without asking for it. Um, this is stuff that I wish the entire industry, and when I say the industry, I mean Android, would adopt as a default. They're totally not going to do that. Even though Apple is trying to shame Google into doing the right thing, that's how Google makes the majority of their money is advertising. And they're not going to change the, the their tracking, their invasion of your privacy. Same thing with Facebook. They're just not going to change. They could say everything they want in front of congressional investigators, but then when you get them in a court of law, even Facebook's own lawyer flat out <laughs> said, no one on Facebook should have any expectations of privacy. Yeah. Well, Holy I, crap. Well, yeah, that, but, the, but that is absolutely true because that platform is designed, as I was saying, it designed the complete opposite. Designed yeah. to share your information among the Facebook graph, as they call it, which is the Users and organizations who use Facebook, the idea is from the ground up to share everything to everyone. Um, the next one, HomeKit Secure Video. We have heard, and hell, we've talked about it here on the podcast in the past, not recently, but we've talked about this, of hackers getting into stuff like baby monitors and, uh, you know, seeing into your house. Um, and that's super creepy potentially deadly and apple is uh looking to change things uh their new uh secure setup for home video cameras um it, it's encrypted it's stored on iCloud where nobody not even apple can see it yeah basically and, instead of having some chinese company roll their own server that normally is insecure and the video going straight up there um they're basically offering a platform Video cut, video camera manufacturers, particularly in security cameras, to to basically send the video up there, and and they will handle the privacy side of it. It's a smart move. The, the downside of this will be, I presume, there's some sort of licensing arrangement required for that, uh, and you know the cheaper manufacturers of this world will probably say, oh, it's far cheaper for us to set up our own web server than go to Apple. So um, it's a good Apple's thing. Yeah. Again, take up is everything with this, you know. But this is all about Apple. They are clearly working very hard on building up the services. Play. It's interesting how quickly they've they've uh, pivoted towards that over the last twelve months. Because twelve months ago, they weren't really uh, considered a services company, and now half of this is all about services, services, services. Yeah. Um, the Photos app is getting a little better. It looks like. Okay. AirPod yeah. enhancements, we don't care because David's already told us about <laughs> a much cheaper, better one anyways. Um, HomePod enhancements. Uh, okay. You know what? I'm, I'm glad they're still proving the HomePod. You know, with the price cuts that have come out recently, um, you know, some people are starting to worry that the HomePod might not long be this world. Um, I, I still think it's an amazing sounding device. Uh, I I probably will pick one up at some point. I've got to be honest. I don't really right now, um, but it, it I still still go back to where every time you hear the HomePod, it sounds brilliant. Well, so I think I'm, the HomePod's strength is if you're an Apple Music subscriber, which you've already said you're not. Yeah, but it's you know still pretty good Bluetooth speaker. 
if you don't use it. Yeah, but for that much money... uh... Here they're now... You know, with this, though, they are now bringing... um, uh, Radio. iHeartRadio, tune-in, that sort of things to it as well. So it's it's not just about being a uh, an Apple Music platform. And you know what? Get pick one up from OWC. They've got refurb units, manufacturer refurb units for hundred dollars off the list price. I think that, that was a good. That was that was really good. I know. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. I've been learning from the master. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, the one that I'm kind of, uh, to be honest, David, all of the stuff sounds pretty good. The one that I'm most looking forward to is CarPlay improvements. Sure. This is huge. A I'm a big car. Player. Oh, I love yeah. I love Apple CarPlay. Yeah. Um, a new dashboard puts your maps next to your music, so you can have multiple things on the screen at once. That is huge. Yeah. Even better, you can change apps on your phone, and it doesn't change anything on the screen on the car. That is that. I can't tell you how often that you know I'm listening to I'm. I'm I'm navigating somewhere, but I'm also listening to music and something yeah. comes up and I want to go to a different playlist. So I have to manually touch the screen. And of course that takes away my map. And I, well, I'm not going to change the station right now because I'm two miles away from my, you know, where yeah. I'm going to have to turn and there's going to be another turn right after that. So oh, it's yeah. a trade off. And the big thing here is that, you know, currently if you summon Siri, the entire screen disappears. <laughs> Yeah, so you just, can get the Siri I, anima- all, animation at the bottom of the screen. They yeah, fixed so that stupid. Yeah. yeah, thank God. Um, someone asked me, well, wait a minute. Does that mean I have to update the car? You know, how are they going to update all the cars with it? Well, no, the car is just an API. Yeah. The actual stuff that you see on the car screen is coming. 100% is coming from the phone. Exactly. Yeah. So Which is also I'm, I'm looking the forward clever to part of the CarPlay system is that basically the, the CarPlay part in the car it's just basically, yes, a receiver for what comes off the boat. So, exactly. you know, you don't have to worry about updating, though. I presume if you drive a BMW, you still got to pay your subscription to mm, yeah. car play working. Yeah. Um, I I think this is great. I'm really looking forward to this. This is the, honestly, this is the one thing that really got my juices flowing. I, I can't wait for it. And that's the main reason I'll update to iOS 13 the day it comes out. I just will, because that's that's huge. Um, Siri's got a new voice, I guess. I didn't hear it. No, I, I didn't. I missed that bit as well. You know, I, I've not thought that Siri's old voice was that bad. Proving it, right. Well, my, mine's a British lady. Of course. <laughs> of course. And I didn't, I didn't change it on my iPad. I, so every now and then I call up Siri on the iPad and I'm like, ah! I, what I, the you heck? know what, I'm pretty sure that Leanne used to, maybe it was her GPS rather than uh, Siri. She used to have this uh, Australian guy. Yes, I know the one. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I think it was a GPS. So, so you know, we frequently get in the car. You have reached your destination. <laughs> Good day. <laughs> Good day. Um, <laughs> I I liked Tom. Tom's always made I think the worst GPS units. Yeah. Um, they're just they're never very good. Not even their Mac. Uh, their uh, I don't even think their app even works on iPhone anymore. I think they kind of gave up. Yeah. Uh, and it's never been compatible with uh, um, Apple CarPlay. But all that being said, one thing that they had is, this is probably 10, 15 years ago at this point, was that they commissioned people like James Earl Jones to come in and do Darth Vader's voice yeah. for navigation. I thought that was brilliant. I would love to see more of that kind of stuff. I want the fun, frivolous stuff occasionally. I yeah. just do 
Well, I, I, I did know somebody who had John Cleese on theirs. Um, oh my god, that'd and, be great. And, and he, he, he basically, the guy was ripping you a new one every time you used it. Here we go, you know. You've missed the turning, you blithering idiot. That'd be <laughs> awesome. Stuff, yeah. uh, iPad OS. So iPad finally gets its own operating system. Of course, it's based on iOS. Yeah. I mean, let's... But this is, it's it's modified iOS and, now. And you know what? There was so much pushback. And I think we even said they needed to fork the OS for the iPad when the, they pro, did. When the last Pros came out. Yeah, yep. There's been so much pushback on that that effectively iOS has constrained what you can do with the iPad. Uh, and Apple gets it. They, um, and then they said, yes, it's going to be different. It's going to do different things. This is a separate development team now. Uh, and... Um, Already, the features they've talked about here are things that none of these things would make sense on the, on an iPhone, but they absolutely are requirements for the iPad. Yeah, new home screen, uh, yeah. a tighter grid of icons. Yeah. That may seem like a small thing. It's not. I, you know, to, I always thought it was stupid how much space is between these icons on my iPad. Well, I'm like, look at all this wasted screen real estate. And also, I got to yeah. swipe three times to get the f- stupid app. The most important thing about that, and I noticed this, somebody posted on Twitter is that now that it's tighter, that means that if you have widgets on the home screen and the tighter group of uh, icons on the right-hand side, that means now that when you turn your iPad to portrait, the icons don't rearrange. They're still oh, in the same nice. place. Yeah. So that means you don't have this situation where you get different icons on the screen based on which way you've got your, your iPad turned. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. that, that always kind of bothered me too, yeah. so that's going to be a welcome change. Uh, slide over. Um, all the, I don't know. Yeah, all the multitasking has been improved, which it required. Yeah. Um, I got I got to play with it to to make any kind of a judgment. There. It's still slide over, slide view, all of that sort of stuff. Certainly on iOS twelve, it's a little bit finicky. Sometimes you end in situations where they can't get the gesture right to do what you want. Hopefully, those will be improved as well. You know, this is a this is a system that's evolving. And I yes. think what, what Apple are trying to do, they're trying to get something that is not just like the Mac. No, I think Windows. they're trying to hit that that Surface category. Yeah. And quite honestly, they need to. Yeah. They have to have something there, and the iPad's perfectly positioned already hardware-wise to do it. With the new Files app, um, it's kind of, it, I, yeah. I wish they would almost not call it Files. They should just yeah. call it Finder. Because yes. that would make more sense. I think that would. I don't. I. It would underscore. By default, yeah, yeah it would underscore exactly. It would underscore exactly. that this is actually trying to be a full computer class application, mm-hmm. not kind of some sort of rinky-dink cut-down thing. Um, exactly, because that's where because they're adding USB file, uh, drive support, USB drive support, SMB network sharing, basically yes. all the stuff you get on a Mac. They're putting into the that you need a finder to view. Yeah. And that's what the Files app would be. Yeah. Uh, that is, I, I like that. Now you can easily install fonts. Yeah. So that's going to be nice, but it has to be through the App Store, which is like, wah, wah. But I get it. They're the walled garden. Yeah, okay, look, fine. you've got to be careful with fonts. Fonts are actually not fonts. They are programs. So, exactly. So, you know, Apple is, is you no, know, they're all about the privacy security. They don't want to open up an unintended uh, loophole into the system. So I kind of get, I get that. No, look, that's a, that's a requirement for five, 10% of users. Most people are happy with the fonts that come with the system. So that's all the announcements. Yeah. Well, apart from the fact that we get a brand new Safari on the iPad, basically as a 
proper web browser. Right, yeah. Yeah. But that's it? That's They didn't have any more announcements? Uh, no. Uh, nothing Nothing at all after that. No. No. No software. Uh, nothing else in software anyway, but... Oh, yeah, they did the Mac Pro. I forgot. <laughs> the thing we've been waiting three years for. Um, they told us that when they finally admitted that the trash can Mac Pro was not good. Yep. Um, and that was launched in, what, 2013? Yeah, in fact, like, you know what, just for kicks, I had a look today at some performance scores um, on a uh, entry-level Mac Pro, trash can Mac Pro, mm-hmm. versus the um, the Mac Mini, the entry-level Mac Mini that they launched last year. Yeah. Mac Mini's faster. And yet yeah. you, you still pay £3,000 or $3,000 for a trash can Mac Pro if you go to the store and order it today. Yeah. So, yes. Well, the new Mac Pro really yeah. does more harken back to the old Mac Pro, but when they told us that it's going to be a modular design, it piqued my interest because I wanted to see what Apple's take on a modular design is. And I got to be honest with you, David, I haven't read or listened to anybody else's commentary on here uh, on the new Mac Pro uh, because honestly, I don't care what their takes are. I think the design is brilliant. I'm not talking about the way it looks. It looks like a cheese grater. Uh, but the design itself, where you can... The handles on the top is the case itself. It goes, yeah. it wraps all the way around to the other handle. It's one solid piece. And the body, or the case of the Mac, slides off. And it, yeah. that is brilliant. Well, not that, that is yet. a feat of engineering that I don't think most people are going to give it credit for initially until well, the, it's yeah. actually out in the wild. The, right, the whole point about the, the Pro machines, all the way back to the uh, Power Macs, um, was always that they were, unlike PCs at the time, they were blissfully easy to get into to, to add, add and remove things to. And they've kept that ethos. And what I love about this design... Well, they brought that ethos back. Yeah. Let's be exactly, clear. Because yes. this is the yeah. only upgradable Mac that... Yeah. is going to exist. But uh, but what I what I love about this is it's clear that what they did is they started with the internals. They made the internals completely modular. And yep. then they said, right, and then they, they clearly went to the design team and said, right, this is what we're going to have now. Design as a case that allows us to get to all of this. Yeah, Rather this than is the clearly, other way around. Yes, this <laughs> is clearly an engineering project, not yeah. a design. The old Mac Pro, the trash can, was clearly – it was – it was form over function. Yeah. This is function over form. Yeah. And I'll give it up to Johnny Ives' team who came up with a brilliant solution yeah. uh, for what a modular computer should be in today's day and age, okay. where you're talking about uh, heat issues, um, upgradability. You don't want to slice your fingers trying to get a slot of uh, a, a stick of RAM in it. I remember the old PCs. It was. Yeah. It, you call them band-aids because you might as well put the band-aid on first because you're going to get cut anyways getting the That's stupid right. hard drive in and out. And, and, um, also, and also learning from their mistakes with the trash can Mac Pro. Exactly. You know, the thing they say over and over again with this design is it can run full speed without compromising the uh, – and, and they say also it's quiet while it's doing that as well, which is, is something that the iMac Pro was, was really uh, praised for when it came out was the fact that They'd redesigned the thermal system, so even though it was a, a closed unit, could run it full speed and it wouldn't hear the fans. This is the same deal. 
uh, only on absolute steroids because this design is basically saying when they say the Mac Pro, they're talking about Pro Pros. They're talking about not individual consumers. They're talking about people who depend on the computer for earning money. And this is what this thing does because it's a monster. And people are complaining about the well, the entry level prices. Um, what six grand fifty nine ninety nine US? That's like three days of consulting fees if you're an editor. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> that's what people aren't getting. This isn't for you to put on your desktop and watch YouTube with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is <laughs> this isn't designed for individuals to buy. Let's be honest. No. Yeah, this is designed for businesses to buy. Businesses have an attitude that time is money. And they will pay decent, reliable hardware that helps them make money. And that is, that is why it's priced this way. And that's why it's designed this way, because there are no compromises in this at all. 12 DIMM slots that allow a maximum of 1.5 terabytes. RAM. I, I, it, yeah, that's, that's not the SSD. That's the RAM. That's, that's the RAM. Are you kidding me? Holy cr- There's nothing you can't do on this machine. This machine, maxed out, is going to take over uh, Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I With mean, this, this new Afterburner card they've got in there, a hardware uh, acceleration uh, card, that allows you to edit 8K video uh, If you think they're doing time. really good FX now, special effects on television shows, where you know the turnover rate's pretty quick, wait two years. Yeah. It's going to get even better because a machine like the Mac Pro... Is this going to speed up those workflows so fast? Um, but I'll be honest with you, as much as I am impressed with the Mac Pro, the monitor is kind of stupid. I, I got to say, well, okay. a $5,000 monitor, yeah, it's great. it has great color. I get it. And it's for professionals. I get it. But when you got to spend another thousand dollars for the stand, so I was, that's kind of insulting. So I was, as I said, I watched that part of the key. This was the only bit they stumbled because they showed off the the, the monitor. Uh, it's very very uh, intelligent and and well practiced. Lady came out and she was really hyped about the monitor. She came out. She was telling them all these features. Every single thing was getting whoops and claps, and everyone was kind of amazed about it. And then the guy who heads up the team came back out to talk pricing. Yeah, and I, you know I heard some air whistling through teeth when he announced the price of the monitor. They also have a, um, a matte version where they've, uh, they basically have uh, etched the front glass with a laser. So, yeah. uh, and, and I, from what I've heard from people who actually seen it, they say this thing is amazing. See, the best matte monitor you've ever seen. It doesn't, you know, normally the matte coatings kind of make the screen look a bit dull. This doesn't. It's like magic, but it's an extra thousand dollars. Um, so, you know... I the, can see that, though. Yeah. That I don't mind that yeah. because... As someone who did video editing professionally, um, I couldn't imagine, quite honestly, as my main work screen working on a glossy screen. Uh, it w- it yeah. No, I don't so, want to do that. A matte so anyway, screen is yeah. much better for that. That's kind of that's kind of where we. This monitor also has the same cheese grater effects in the back, which is bit of an acquired taste. I kind of like it. It's kind of the whole thing kind of looks. It's growing at, on me. It has a bit of whimsical retro about it that I kind right. of like. Um, but yes, it has. It they made a big deal about this amazing. How stand. long? <laughs> how long do you think? Well, they even have wheels. Yeah. For the Mac Pro, which I thought, you know what? Absolutely, that makes sense. Uh, but how long do you think it's going to be? 
before you're going to see one of these very small, innocuous. You're, most people will never notice it as a little moving robot in a Star Wars movie or something. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. I but, mean, but I have to say, they kind of they screwed it on the stand. It's difficult. Yeah, it's, it's stupid. It's difficult when you look. I understand they don't bundle the stand because a lot of these monitors are going to be bought. They're going to go straight to edit bays. They're going to go on a visa mount. The visa mount adapter is two hundred dollars. Okay, fine. That's Apple. Yeah, but they made this big deal about this amazing stand for it, and then effectively, I, I understand it not being included even, but <laughs> they kind of, in the keynote, they kind of went, oh yeah, and the stand will be available, and that'll be $1,000. And literally, people, you heard you heard jaws open in the, in the, the you heard gasps, and the guy was a little bit taken aback by it, he wasn't expecting that reaction, and he stumbled a little bit, and I think that's, that's the one area where kind of Apple just kind of dropped it. You know what? They should have either thrown the stand in for a nominal fee uh, on a six thousand dollar monitor, yeah. yeah, or they should have, uh, or they sh- they should have brought the price down because there's no way it costs them a thousand dollars to give you that stand. No, yeah. that's a you know twenty dollar stand. And, and, and the, the the real risk, of course, is that people are going to buy the Mac Pro and they're going to buy the monitor, and then what they're going to do is they're going to go onto Amazon and they'll find somebody who sells a fifty dollar metal yep. stand that's compatible and they're going to buy that and that won't look much <laughs> different at all no it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll, i mean it won't have all the cool features that the apple one does but you know what most people problem with adjustability on a stand is most people want to adjust it once and then they don't, once it's in the right place they never move it again exactly that's a thousand dollars stupid you know you know who the mac pro is good for though who's that our sponsor, OWC, because oh, yeah. as I've mentioned in the past, I worked there, and I used to go to uh, a lot of um, conventions, if you will, and, and expos, and I would talk to the people that would come to the booth, and many, many, many of those people were professional video editors, or they're using their Mac professionally, and those people um, were getting frustrated that, that Apple's Pro Machine wasn't doing it anymore and they weren't really all that upgradable and that wasn't good for OWC with this new machine being a modular design I see our sponsor OWC as being um, uh, they're going to be a big player for the Mac Pro I think they're going to have solutions that's going to be a fraction of what Apple costs or or charges for some of these upgrades and RAM and and stuff like that Um, and it's going to be huge for OWC so Uh, good on you guys at OWC. I think this is this is huge news for you guys, and and, and, and good reason because yeah. OWC was always a huge supplier of high end equipment to Mac users. Yeah, and it was because I remember getting a processor upgrade for my G3 and a G4 at one time. Yeah, through OWC, this is the kind of machine that OWC excels as being a third-party vendor and supporting it. Um, and I, we, I can't yeah. wait to see what they're going to do. Well, no, I'm, I'm hoping that when we see them in a few weeks' time, they'll be able to start telling us what they're thinking. Oh, even yeah. If, even if they so don't too. have announcements, they can start talking about you know what they might have in mind. So the last part here, uh, before we wrap up the show, really is uh, the next version of the Mac OS. Um, I don't want to say... I, I, the thing is, though, David, I'm... What is this? I, I forget now. Uh, I am running Mac OS 10 point. I'm running Sierra. Yeah. 
And this is we're talking about ten point one five. I'm at ten point one two. Yep. Um, and that's because it, it does everything I need it to do. Now there are some parts of the newer Mac OS that's a little bit appealing to me, but not appealing enough to replace my Mac because that's what I really need to do to run this effectively. Yeah. Uh, what sort of machine is that? What twenty? Twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Yeah. So well outside the uh, upgrade period. And the Harvey, Zoomy, Catalina as well. Yeah. You know what? I, I mean, and, and there are some downsides. For instance, you and I both use GarageBand 6.05 as our uh, podcast editor, and that's a 32-bit app. It won't run under Catalina. 32-bit support is going away. I'm running uh, 10.32. Okay. Oh, you run the latest version. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yep. Well, you're okay. Well, it, you would, because be okay most... That, but- yeah, but I've, I, got, I've gotten used to it, and yeah. it works fine. But I, I've always used GarageBand 6. I've never yeah. got used to 10. So to be honest with you, I would probably switch to Logic, and I would try to go to GarageBand. Well, I'll, if I'll I'm going to learn a new system, I might as well learn the, the yeah, high-end system, the latest you know? and greatest. Yeah. Yep. What happened with GarageBand and me is um, I, we were getting ready to record a show. I had downloaded the newer version, oh, I don't know, two years before that, a year before that. Yeah. And I accident. I wanted to delete it because every time I would clip a GarageBand, it would open the newer version, and it just kept ticking me off. So I just went into my Finder, went into Applications, I deleted, it, emptied the trash, and realized I had just thrown away the old one. And there was no quick way to get that old version back. Yeah, it's like a uh, sound files and everything, like two and a half gig down. Yeah, exactly. Well, I could have probably pulled it from a backup, but yeah. quite honestly, it was like ten minutes before we were going to do a show. Right. So I just started using the new one, and I've never gone back. Okay. It's okay. not as intuitive. It's a little clunky still to this day and age, but eh, I'm fine with it now. So, you know, yes, Lace and Grace Catalina, you're going to need, uh, I think it's basically a 2016 Mac onwards yep. for most people. If you want to make the best use of the features, it will run on slightly older machines than that, but some of the things, like um, Sidecar, for instance, which allows you to use your iPad wireless or wirelessly as a secondary display and input device that doesn't work on anything beyond or 2016 right so and um, that doesn't do anything for me because quite honestly my i my imac minus will be a headless mac because it's a 21 inch screen that i never use yeah i use my 27 inch asus monitor yeah but sidecar's really aimed at people use laptops which is their biggest market yeah um, so yep. a lot of people have laptops also have ipads and now they can have two screens free and what I'm, um, what I'm hearing is that actually the um, sidecar um, performance, even on the first beta, is much, much better than the third-party apps that do the same thing. So, um, yeah, it looks like a nice solution. Uh, iTunes is is turning into three separate apps. Yep. You know, and also now if you want to sync devices um, uh, with your Mac, that's now built into the Finder, which is sensible that's where it should have been all along to be honest rather than in the iTunes yes. but yeah so that's all good the voice control demo they did in the uh, keynote was amazing they had a, I heard that I haven't yeah. watched it they and had I'm a kind of oh no I did watch that the yeah. guy uh the, guy the quadriplegic the, yeah exactly the guy in yeah. the wheelchair he had Lou Gehrig or something like that so basically he he was in a wheelchair that was controlled with one of those little breath tubes so he yep. can't he couldn't move at all but he could speak fine and he was I mean 
he was working his Mac faster than I can work it all by voice. It was pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, and, that and, was pretty cool. And the way the the system is designed to kind of uh, you know highlight areas, of the, he can say bring up the grid, and then it cuts everything into numbers, and he can say select number three. It's it's so cool. I mean, and and it's um, so Apple. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's a, a a really good point. A lot of people say, "Why do you guys are fans of Apple?" This is why. Yeah. yeah. Um, Project Catalyst. Yeah, this, this is the big some one. People. Yeah, yeah, this is the big one because this is the uh, you know effort to. Uh, it used to be called Marzipan. That was a code name, and this is what the effort that allows you to take apps developed for iOS, particularly the iPad, and then run them on the Mac. Um, and this is huge for the Mac in that, you know, as long-time Mac users I am, I would like to think there's way more developers on the Mac than the iOS. And that's absolutely 100% the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so many apps that would be perfect on a Mac, but it's iPad or iPhone only. Well, this is going to be a tool that allows a developer very easily to export it out for the Mac as well. And why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. Because uh, you're you're going to reach a broader audience. But and the, it's the no key more thing, extra work. Yeah, the key thing here is actually not about the ability to do it. It's actually what it says. Because the frameworks that you use to develop Mac apps, it's clear that those, while they're not going away, they're not going to be developed the same way the iOS ones are. iOS is Correct. where the engineering effort is. Now, what they're doing with this is they're not just enabling Mac apps, uh, iPad apps to run on the Mac, but they're enabling the tools and frameworks you use to develop iOS apps to support the Mac. And that's far more important than actually yes. delivering the apps themselves because what that means is that effectively this is the way that the engineering effort, the code development, the whole Apple ecosystem is going. And, of course, there's, we hear rumors that actually Apple is considering switching to ARM processors. So this is, a, this is a, you know, ARM processors that already run in iOS – yeah, this is kind of another flag post towards that as well. This is the first step for the future of the Mac as well as iOS. And the the encouraging thing about this is this says the Mac is not going away. This exactly. is this, this says that you're not just going to drop it and just do everything on the iPad and and the iPhone. This says the Mac is going to be part of the ecosystem. And over time they will come closer together. This is part of that as well, but it means that... Which Mac isn't necessarily a bad thing. No. I know some yeah. people freak out about it, but it's... Folks, relax. Yeah. The Mac isn't going anywhere. It's going to get more robust. Yeah. That ecosystem is going to grow when it can start incorporating some of the best features and programs from iOS. It yeah. just will. Yeah, and now here's the thing. Take that Mac Pro with those modular slots in it, and yep. all of a sudden you could say, hmm, I bet can take that in very powerful Intel Mac Pro and put an emulator card in it so that it can run iOS. And it well, it wouldn't even iOS. be an emulator card. No, no, no yeah. You just it have a dual boot machine. It, well, not even a dual boot. I bet you'll be able to run a development environment where you effectively have a full simulator that's actually running on proper ARM hardware, hardware. in the Mac Pro yeah. to allow you yep. to develop killer apps for the ARM Mac and the ARM iPad and, and the ARM iPhone. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Um, I think we're probably still a, a year or two away from seeing that reality, yeah. but I agree with you. I think I, it's coming. I tell you, I've got... And there's no question. I have. You know, I've I've had the Windows RT devices in the past that ran on ARM. I also have one of those newer um, Windows on ARM, Windows on Snapdragon computers. Yeah. You know, the ones that, that 
when they came out, a lot of Windows people went, oh, they're very expensive and they don't run very well. And I think, I tell you, they are pretty good computers. They don't run x86 code well at all. But the ARM stuff runs really well, and the thing has like a 25-hour battery life. Yeah? It's, hard. it's absolutely that, the way a computer yeah. is going. Yeah, and those who use a Mac laptop, imagine getting the power management you'd get from an iPad. Yeah. Absolutely. And especially with the size of a battery and a, and a even a, an 11 inch yeah. MacBook Air. Yeah, you'll have something I mean, you'll have something that runs runs 2 3 all day. days without a charge. Yeah, yeah, all day long with constant use. Yeah. So with that we're going to wrap up our 400th episode of the Tech Fan podcast. We'll be back next week, and who knows what the heck we're going to talk about, but hopefully we'll talk about something that you have to say, because we do welcome your feedback. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com. Yeah. Or, of course, you can always go to techfanpodcast.com or mymac.com. Leave us a message there, and uh, we'll read it here on the show. Or just, quite honestly, um, you want to give your home address? You, they can just... No, uh, well, I, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd ra- in fact, I'd rather give out my PayPal address because I think we need to start crowdfunding for our new Mac Pros. We need one each. Yes. Obviously, with yeah, the matching, we need one matching each. monitor. Yeah. I'll, you know what? I'll let you guys... I don't need the monitor. I'm fine with my Asus. <laughs> I, I, a I, thousand, uh, no, I'll take the monitor, but you know what? I'll give you guys a break. I'll let you let it slide on the stand. I'll get one. That's that's right. yeah. <laughs> I'll get one of the uh, Chinese knockoffs. That's right, yeah. We'll, do, we'll go that route. <laughs> so we'll, we'll be back next week, and uh, I'll see you then, David. See you then. Mm-hmm.